Welcome to the Community Builder Podcast. The world is our classroom, and every moment is an opportunity to understand human connection at a newer level. On this podcast, we'll explore the minds of active community builders as they strive to leave their imprint on the world. King. Let's build. Before we get started, we would like to thank our sponsor, Cruise Control Music, the ultimate audio branding experience. Cruise Control Music creates custom, authentic sounds and music to showcase your brand identity and is a direct reflection of your vision, goals, and values. If you're looking to start or level up your podcast experience, log on to cruisecontrolmusic.com. So I guess if you don't mind um, sharing with people, you know, a little bit about your background, excuse me, a little bit about your background, um, you know, what you're currently up to, what you're doing over at OMB, um, and also just for everyone that's listening, like I just want to explain that I'm really excited to, you know, talk with you today, um, just your background and like your stories and the reports and projects you've worked on have been really inspiring and have definitely taught me a lot so far. Um, so I definitely am super excited to talk with you and, you know, learn a little bit more about what you're up to and, you know, what sorts of lessons you can share with everyone. Cool. Well, first, thanks for having me, Travis. It's a, it's a treat to get to chat with you for a while. Of course. And I can start from the beginning in a little, in a little story of uh, who I am and how I got to be doing what I'm doing now. Uh, so I, uh, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado and as the child of two spiritual seekers. So my mother was raised Jewish and my father was raised Christian and neither of them really got the spiritual fruits of their traditions. They got more of the social and political outworkings of those religious identities. And so they were hungry for <laughs> And so much so that they moved to San Francisco in the 70s and <laughs> explored it there. And I was, uh, I was basically raised in a home where there was a deep incorporation of spiritual speaking, but no religious identity. So I was kind of raised to understand religiousness as becoming closer to the divine and more useful to other people. This verb form of living love, that was really what it was all about. And so I loved that because I was raised in a really creative, spiritual home. But I also struggled a bit with the lack of a cohesive experience of community and the feel of the feeling of being part of something bigger. So I think I carried that yearning forward with me all the way through college to New York City and working in Brooklyn, where I was working as a playwright and uh, involved in a whole bunch of arts, artsy efforts. And it was among my friends there that I first started to identify this kind of yearning for a combination of meaning and belonging and purpose. And I started to wonder where I might find those things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
closest I could point to was the experiences I was having in the arts where I was getting to connect with people and create things, right? And we'd create these theater performances and these music festivals. And when we do that, I would feel like there was some profound dimension to it. Like we were co-creating something bigger than ourselves. But those communities were also ephemeral, right? They would come together, build, and then they'd disband again. And I also started to feel like the ceiling on those conversations was like I didn't want to just lay bare the problems of our time and the woundedness that we are living in. That's super important. I also wanted to be among people and engaged in the questions creatively of how do we actually co-create a world that's different? You know, how do we move into a different way of being? And so it was really those questions that ultimately brought me to the work I'm doing now. Which oh I think more about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, that's it's funny that you say that because one of the, my previous um, guests, Cecil Phillip from Microsoft, also talked to this underlying motivation um, yeah. for creating something that was bigger than themselves. And what he said was very interesting. It was, um, he said, imagine creating or having this gold that you can't share it with. And like you have it in your room, but like you can't go and share with anybody or you don't know where to go. And so that's one of the things that he said fueled him. And it sounds like the motivations are very similar to where, you know, you had this thing or this, you know, motivation or yearning, like you mentioned, to create. Yeah. Like now you're also, you're now through doing it and working on so many different types of, you know, outlets and projects. You're now doing it and then you're taking it now to the next level. Um so I guess, would you mind uh, diving a little bit deeper into um, some of the things that you did when you first got started and like kind of how you leveled up through, you know, going to some sort of a formal um, community gathering and then maybe disbanding and going to another community or just maybe talk a little bit about how you navigated to get to where you are now? Sure. Well, so I first encountered the phrase spiritual but not religious on Match.com in 2008. Um, <laughs> it was everybody I was getting matched with at the time. And I started to wonder, like, who are those people and where do they go, basically? Because I had gotten close enough to these questions to realize that I was hungry for spiritual community. At least that's my own words uh, for what I was looking for. And so here I was living in Brooklyn in my little studio and I just started a little spreadsheet. And at the time I called it SBNR resources, which stood for spiritual, but not religious resources. Uh. And I just started populating that thing with everything I could find. And because I was outside of any formal religious community or identity and pretty much to a person, my friends were too. I was like, all right. So it's, it didn't even occur to me to look within the boundaries of organized religion I was looking at places like CrossFit and Brooklyn Boulders and maker spaces and gaming communities and justice movements and these arts communities I was getting to be part of, right? That's where my life was and that's where my instinct was as far as identifying where folks might be going to find this combination of meaning and belonging and purpose that I myself was seeking. And so it was through that set of questions and that initial attempt to just throw things on the page that I ended up at Harvard Divinity School asking the question, 
how might I be useful in helping to deepen spiritual community in a time of religious transition? And something that I had come to know is that my generation, as I'm kind of an elder amongst millennials, I'm 33, uh, but I'm still part of that generation. And so, you know, the millennial generation is one third unaffiliated in the United States, unaffiliated religiously. So that means that if you're asked for your religious identity, you put none of the above. And if you're younger than, than that, you're even more likely to be unaffiliated. It kind of skews along generational lines. And so in addition to this transition religiously, there's a natural outworking, I think, that is, um, is what I've come to call the crisis of isolation. That, that we're living in, right? And there are a lot of factors contributing to that disconnect that we feel from each other. Uh, and I think it's not just from each other, it's also to our sort of true sense of identity and authenticity within ourselves, as well as to that feeling that you were alluding to, right? That feeling of being part of something bigger, right? I think we feel disconnected in all of those areas right now, many of us. And so what I started looking for uh, was where are the places where people find where people find basically the experience of connection, right? Where they're overcoming and combating the crisis of isolation through community, and through that question and uh, through the upending of my life in New York and the move to Divinity School, I got to meet an amazing person who's now become my work partner, whose name is Casper Turkile. And he and I just started interviewing community leaders all over the U.S., again, across various disciplines that wouldn't necessarily seem to have anything in common, right? Whether it's fitness or the arts or justice or grief and loss or gaming or what have you, and asking these leaders about what people found when they came to their communities. And it was startling, especially since I had been a playwright. I was used to listening for language and the scripts people used. And lo and behold, it was like these folks had all read the same script. They were talking about purpose and finding purpose. They were talking about personal transformation and they were talking about social change. They were all about accountability and how we become the people we have the potential to be, right? It was this significantly similar set of themes that emerged again and again. And finally, Casper and I were like, someone must have written about this, right? Somebody <laughs> has already written this down, and that's how all these folks know to talk about it. But we didn't find it written down anywhere. So finally, we decided to write it down ourselves. So it was out of that series of conversations and just the startling overlap in the work these folks were doing that we ended up writing this little piece called How We Gather back in 2015. And it was a 24-page report that at this point I can say uh, has basically been the catalyst for our careers because it ended up, it, you know, in, in most respects, it was just a reflection back to the community of what we were hearing from them. Right. <laughs> I think because of that, there was a resonance to it to basically say, oh yes, this is what I've been talking about. Right. And that led to just an incredible series of relationships, conversations, and a, a sense of a growing field that we get to be part of and work with. That's exciting. Um, and it's also very, um, I don't think of the word. I, I I want to say, uh, like, deep and meaningful, but, like, to some people, I'm just, like, thinking, for, well, one, kind of take a step back and help people understand what your definition of, like, spiritual 
and um, community means because a lot of times I feel like the word spirit and um, that whole world gets a, a big misconception um, and a big label slapped on it that I think a lot of people really don't understand. And even like going back to your initial fact of, you know, over what is it, a third of millennials are unaffiliated. Like yeah. if you just think about that and just think about like what affiliation means, like not whether you're Catholic or Baptist or whatever the case is, but like what that actually means and like some of the things that you've come across to where you're like, wow, like I felt this way. I felt unaffiliated. And like, here's what, you know, spirituality means to you. Yeah, sure thing. Well, maybe I'll start with community and take that into spirituality, if that's okay. Whichever, Um, whatever way you want to (laughs) go. Okay. So in how we gather, we described community as valuing and fostering deep relationships that center on service to others. Um, But there's, a, there's an author named Paul Bourne who's written a fair amount about community, and I kind of like how he illustrates that. He talks about the act of bringing chicken soup to a neighbor and mm. how that sounds super basic, but in order to bring chicken soup to a neighbor when they're sick, you have to know your neighbor already. You have to know them well enough to know that they're sick. You have to know whether or not they're a vegetarian. Do they like chicken and eat it? And you have to know that... You have to not only know these things, but you have to care enough to go out of your own way to give them something when they're in need, right? And so when we think about levels, yeah, (laughs) it takes a lot. It takes a lot. Yeah. Oh wow. So when we talk about community, and and we've become kind of protective of the word in my work um, because I think it's a time when people are so hungry for it that. There's a bit of a phenomenon that we talk about as community washing. So if you remember during the environmental movement, there was all, suddenly everything was green, 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 green. And and there's this sense of green washing that occurred of like, are you really actually doing things that are good for (laughs) for our environment? Or are you just using that as a brand identity, right? So that can happen with community these days, I think, especially as it relates to what we might refer to as networks, right? Which are tend to be shallower um, relationships that can center on affinity. And there's nothing inherently wrong with a network. But I think when it is attempting to be in the place of a deep community where you are deeply known and deeply loved and where you deeply know and deeply love the others that you're surrounded by, um, that replacement of community with network can actually be some of where our feeling of a sort of poverty or lack in terms of relationship can stem from. So that's a community piece. No, I mean, yeah, that's, no, I really loved how you explained that because I feel like it gets a lot of people, like in the way that I look at it, like from what you just said, it's, I look at like the LinkedIn, but like you have 4,000 connections on LinkedIn, but right. out of those 4,000, how many have you actually had coffee with? Right, right. <laughs> I, I don't, it's, uh, no, it's a great, great example. Right. And not to mention being so intertwined in each other's lives that you're actually aware of and present for the ups and downs of life. Right. That's the piece that seems to be the most challenging, especially, um, you know, when when folks are increasingly uh, displaced from a, a stable sense of geography and so much else. So there's that. And then in terms of spirituality, of course, um, you know, I, I had the privilege of going and getting this divinity school degree. And I should hasten to say that like 
when I entered divinity school, I had never read the Bible. I didn't know what these words that I have since come to use, these words like liturgy and hermeneutics and all this theological language. Like I had no idea what I was getting into. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, don't worry. This is definitely me as well. So, um, but one thing I have learned from being in a divinity school environment is that uh, is, is to be very wary of offering any sort of hasty definition for a word like spirituality. Um, this is something that for if you have a thousand people, you'll get a thousand definitions. So there's there's that just at the base level. And, um, and so I want to provide that qualifier before I even say anything about it. <laughs> um, but I think where it lands with me and, and what I've ended up building a lot of my work on since has to do with a connection to the sacred across three dimensions. And that first dimension is within oneself. So how, how my spiritual life has to do with tending the sacred within myself. The second dimension has to do with others and specifically tending the sacred in relationship, right? So how, how am I, showing up in my life with the people that my life touches and bringing out the inherent dignity um, and lovability of each individual. And then that third dimension has to do with tending the sacred, which is beyond myself and beyond each and all of us, uh, that feeling of being part of something greater that we were speaking about. And often, you know, when I talk about these three dimensions of meaning, belonging, and purpose, I find that they sort of map onto those three dimensions that I just described so that we cultivate a sense of meaning within ourselves. We cultivate a sense of belonging with each other. And then we cultivate a sense of purpose as to that question of what am I uniquely called to do with my individual life? How am I contributing to that greater existence that we are all part of? So when I think of and talk about spirituality, that's usually what I have in mind. And it's also what motivates me just on a personal level to do what I'm doing. Wow. That's um, mind blowing in my, in my brain. That's mind blowing because um, I, I've also, um, I think it was a podcast that I listened to and it's a similar theory was referenced to where it's like when you deepen a relationship with two people, right? So perfect example is this podcast, right? Yeah. So I come from, you know, my background and experiences and so do you, but through this medium, we're now creating a sense of belonging and also a sense of purpose for what we're talking about. So we're yeah. bringing our ideas and ideologies and boop, now we're creating this third dimension together. Exactly. And that's exactly what's happening right now. <laughs> Look, it's happening right now. Yeah. Oh wow. So no, I, think... I mean, according to me, right? Like we all get to say and live into what we think about it, but yeah, that's my uh, that's my stance on it so far. <laughs> no, I love that, and I feel like it's it only makes sense, right? Like the more of these conversations that we have when we're in this sacred place together, the deeper that connection goes, mm -hmm. which then builds the deep sense of belonging, builds deeper relationships, builds deeper connection versus the network, which is only one level deep. Yeah. Um, so like continuing these, you know, yeah. conversations and interactions, like what do you think is going to happen if you talk to the same person three days in a row about a topic that you're both passionate about? Uh -huh. like, 
it's going to build, it's going to grow. Um, So I think that's one, a very important thing for people to think about when, you know, they're trying to build community, no matter what it is, right. Whether it's arts, whether it's business, whether it's just a simple friendship um, it's that these interactions where we are looking for belonging purpose and meaning that help, you know, build these relationships. And that's the real connection that should be, um, at least, it, again, in my point of view, um, yeah. work towards um, <laughs> without trying to give anyone a direction to say, like, this is how it should be. Um, but just Absolutely. giving you it, like, ammo to think about that. Yeah. It seems like it. we have some common ground on this one. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and it's funny because when you have common ground, I think that's a great point, right? Like, when you have common ground, the initial spark is so much bigger. Like the excitement's there, the passion's there. Like I can hear it. I even when you first started, like I saw your eyes light up. You're like, oh my god, like yes. Like yeah. wait, let me caveat because it's one of those experiences that you know you've seen like you've had, you know, multiple times, so you know how to handle it. Whereas if someone like, for example, it might not have had experiences or people who've asked them about this before, they wouldn't necessarily answer it that way. They might get nervous or shy or have fear, you know, overtake their sense of control and ability to, you know, have this conversation. Yeah, that's a really good point. I was actually amazed in the year that led up to my starting Divinity School. I, it felt a little bit like a coming out. I mean, I don't want to over, I don't want to overstate it, but there was definitely an experience of having to come clean with the people in my life that I was so passionate about these topics that I was going to change everything about my life to go pursue them, right? And I had a bunch of friendships where I really hadn't been out about that because I was in a very secular context and definitely didn't really know myself how to talk or think about these questions. And so I talk about that period uh, and the conversations I had with people as kind of like opening a faucet. I was amazed, you know, when you turn on the tap and the water comes out, it was like I was having conversations in some cases with people I'd known for over a decade or more where we had just never touched this stuff. And somehow what happened by virtue of my naming that I myself was passionate about it was a sense of permission, basically, to go there. Um, you know, and what I learned is that there was so much, I mean, surprise, surprise, there was so much right there under the surface that folks were dying to talk about, but that didn't regularly appear in the types of things that they were spending their days pursuing. Um, And so they didn't know where to go with it, right? So I I, I can really relate to this feeling of um, a kind of spiritual insecurity is, is how I talk about it. You know, like I've, I've developed a greater confidence over the last five years by virtue of being so immersed in this world. Uh, but it, it, like anything, it takes a great deal of, of practice and exposure and, and learning. Um, so it makes sense to me that there would be, there would be a lack of, of confidence there and a certain sense of, um, perhaps searching for, for words and language, especially at a time when so many of the words we have at our disposal are, are tarnished by various experiences that people have had with them that make them almost unusable. So it's, it's a very real issue of our moment to try to find language. And even your question about spirituality, like what does that mean to me? It's a very, uh, it's an astute question because that's a word that can easily be a turnoff right away to plenty of folks. 
and or you can just apply connotations to it that may or may not be the same ones that I'm bringing. So the language piece is huge. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. And also, if you would mind um, sharing, and again, if you don't want to, totally fine. Um, could you share with us a little bit about like how you felt? Like, how did it make you feel when you were, you know, unearthing these, you know, spiritual insecurities that you talked about before? Like, what did that feel like to you? In myself or in others? Um, I guess, I guess like in yourself slash like in your experiences, right? Like if you had this sense of, um, I guess I'll bring a very simple example. Like the, like I, for me, like getting a haircut is like such a great feeling. Like yeah. I feel fresh and rejuvenated and renewed, very basic. Right. Um, but like, it makes me feel really great. And to some people, like it might make them feel great too. Um, so like, are there any feelings that were associated with being able to, you know, uncover your spiritual um, self? Oh, to the max, to the max. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the last five years since I embarked on this chapter of life have been by far the most fulfilling and uh, heart opening of my adult life. I've been amazed at the um, just the relationships I've gotten to cultivate, the people I've gotten to know, the uh, one unexpected outworking of this work is that how we gather that report, while it definitely appealed to this landscape of community leaders who were outside of religious traditions and tended to be more in the millennial generation, some of the biggest response to it came from leaders of religious institutions who tended to be more of an older generation because they were in a position of trying to figure out where are all the millennials? And here we were being like, here they are. <laughs> I'll tell you, one of the great unexpected gifts of these last years has been actually developing relationships with with religious leaders and with religious people across traditions who do identify with particular traditions and communities in that way. And one of the most special versions of that has been a set of relationships I've gotten to cultivate with a group of Catholic nuns. And this, again, like I would say CrossFit and Catholic nuns are probably like the two places I never thought my life would lead. And there we have it. <laughs> some of my That's favorite, fair. <laughs> some of my favorite people. But just I can't even begin to tell you the feeling I have had in the presence of these women and a number of other elders as well um, has just been this first of all, the feeling of like, oh my gosh, I want to be like that when I grow up. Um, people who exude this spiritual maturity. You know, you could call it wisdom, you could call it love, but it's this sense of having cultivated over a lifetime a particular way of being in the world that does honor, if we want to stick with my definition of spirituality, that does mm -hmm. honor the sacred across all of those dimensions. And these, these women are it, you know, and, and, and I've gotten to know a number of others as well where there's just a sense of being called to something greater with, with one's life. And it's very invigorating. And certainly it, it definitely is as good as, um, as good as a haircut. <laughs> so, um, that piece about eldering, like having role models who do exude that way of being has ended up being another really big factor in my work. And I think 
getting the opportunity to be inspired by, by people who've walked this walk for longer um, and cultivated that sense of wisdom and dignity through experience that's earned is, is powerful. Yeah, and it actually, it's funny because it reminds me of the, uh, was it the, the book and the movie, but The Giver. Oh, yeah. Um, and I loved, loved that movie and the book. Um, it also reminds me, like, two things. One, it brings me back to the, the care for souls and mm-hmm. how you have the, diff- the seven different types of souls. And one is the elder, right? So the, they ground the gifts and the history and the community. And also, just similarly to the movie The Giver, right, he's got this library of, like, information and books that he then yeah. shares with um, someone in the past. So, like, I guess... Could you talk, I guess, really quickly about how you identify different souls? Because I feel like that's one thing. It's one thing to be aware that these things exist, right? Like the, like the gatherer, the maker, you know, the seer, the healer, the steward, the venturer. And then it's another thing to like identify that in other people. So like, I guess, could you talk a little bit about um, how you came up with, you know, these different souls Um, or like how people can like become more aware of them? Sure. So yeah, in brief, after writing How We Gather, uh, we've since written four more reports. And the most recent of these is called Care of Souls. And uh, this is now amazingly got become my my job. I went from being a student to actually getting to do this work full time. And in that has been a great deal of relationship building, especially with community leaders and, and just really um, getting to know the way that even in nominally secular contexts, uh, folks are basically being asked to function sort of like pastors. So if you think about somebody asking their CrossFit instructor to officiate their wedding, right, or even like in some cases holding their funeral in a CrossFit box or going to the guy who runs a makerspace and saying, you know, going at 3am to do welding instead of self-harming, right? There's this way in which people are bringing their whole lives, the highs and the lows to these communities. And so that really took us on a journey of trying to figure out what it looks like to support people who are in effect caring for the souls of others. And this was something we learned about in divinity school where Gregory, the St. Gregory saying um, the care of souls is the art of arts. And so really exploring what does it look like to orient oneself around caring for, for the souls of others. And so we wrote care of souls as sort of a portrait of some of the archetypes that we had encountered in this work of how people are going about that. And so whether that's through healing work, whether it's through eldering, whether it's through gathering these community leadership type roles, whether it's through stewardship, right? Some of those, some of those jobs that never get the spotlight, right? But that are actually doing the hard work of keeping us connected and keeping everything going. Um, so that report really attempts to illuminate a bit of that landscape, but it's less about um, it's less about those archetypes, even though I do think they can be useful. And it's more about offering an invitation to think about our lives through this lens. And again, this gets at that third dimension of purpose. Like, what is it that I am called to do that will contribute to the creation I'm part of <laughs> and that will apply my own creative spark and energy uh, to bringing about um, what I'm uniquely 
what, what I'm uniquely qualified to do. Um, and, but to expand the possibility of that beyond necessarily what I do for a living or kind of the purely professional track that we often get put on toward a more holistic view about what a human life is for and how we can show up in our human lives uh, for ourselves and others in a way that is fulsome and replete and uh, giving. So that's really what that report was pointing toward. Uh, and, you know, hopefully is, is an invitation in that direction. Yeah, I love it. Um, and it definitely, it, I feel like it kind of brings us to one of the more exciting things that I've been waiting to hear about. Um, and kind of a little bit about what you mentioned of seeing, you know, the world through these different lenses, right? So being, you know, aware of the fact that, you know, oh, you showed up to this gathering and you helped lay the bricks. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you showed up to this gathering and you also helped paint the house mm -hmm. or whatever the case is, you helped make something. Um, I guess, could you talk a little bit about how, like what you're working on now with the formation project, like um, how you've now gathered all these goodies and all these insights and all these lessons and now kind of how you were putting that stuff to work and what you're doing now? Yeah, you bet. So uh, an exciting development is that with Casper and our growing team, we've now uh, moved into uh, an organization called the On Being Project. And some of your listeners, Travis, may know On Being as a fellow podcast in the, <laughs> in the world of podcasts. Uh, and it's a, a beautiful show that is all about the questions of what it means to be human and what matters most. And so it was a natural home for our effort to begin to do some innovating ourselves. So I think of On Being as a spiritual startup and within that organization, we are now incubating our own spiritual startup called The Formation Project. And yes. <laughs> and honestly, I think the simplest way of putting it is that this project is intended as a container, a, a, a place to go in order to deepen across each of those three dimensions that we've been speaking so much about. And so we're doing a little beta version of this experience over the next year. So it will unfold over an entire year. Oh my, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we'll probably have 30 or 40 people go through the beta year where we're basically in total design mode, learning by doing. Um, but we've modeled it off of some of the most powerful examples we've seen of containers for formation. And when I say containers for formation, what I mean by that is um, contexts and communities where people's way of being is transformed in a fundamental way. And so one example is Alcoholics Anonymous, right? That's, it's a circle that you enter into and you move through 12 steps that have become famous. Uh, and then you turn around and you lift up those who come after you, right? You could even think about the army or other, um, other military groups where people are going in and, you know, they may start with an individualist culture and leave there with an honor culture, right? Where they're willing to die for the person next to them. And there's lots of other things you could say about the military, but there's definitely some fundamental transformation that occurs among those who are in that immediate circle, right? As right. you're training. So we really learned from those kinds of examples, as well as the more overtly religious forms of, of formation, such as like monastic life, right? Where people go and they enter into something called a novitiate, 
That's where our word novice comes from. And you spend a couple years in the novitiate and it's during that period that you discern and the community discerns if you're ready to take vows and to commit yourself to a different way of life that unfolds for the rest of your life, right? So we're really, we're going all in on this question of formation. Um, and with a huge nod to Beyonce, that's actually been like an amazing thing. Because <laughs> um, it's an ancient word and concept, but not one that's been um, so commonly in our lexicon until the last couple of years. Right. You know, and she no surprise, like she has it right, right? This, like this call for what is just and what is prophetic, right? To transform our hearts and to transform our world. So there's a real, uh, there's a real undercurrent of this project that is focused on that, of how do we transform our own hearts that we may become agents of transformation in the world. And that's what people will be on about for a year. So we'll see what it, we'll see what it yields. Wow. And when's that kicking off? Has that already started or are you working on it now? It kicks off on October 15th of this year. Oh, wow. So that's like very soon. Yeah. That's exciting. What, is there anything, I guess, like, is there any one specific point to where you're like, oh my gosh, like I can't wait until we figure this out or I can't wait until we get to this part. Um, Obviously the whole thing is exciting. Um, but I'm just like thinking selfishly, like there's gotta be one thing where you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't wait for X, Y, Z to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've been playing with this idea of vow taking and, you know, we only really, we we have very limited exposure to that kind of thing. Like we use vows in marriage, right? Like when you think about commitments you make for life, ostensibly like marriage vows are supposed to be one of them. Mm -hmm. and vows get used in religious orders, but there's a whole bunch of ways we could get creative about vow taking um, as it relates to the, like, the highest and deepest commitments that we carry as individuals. So one thing we're going to play with in the formation project is in this first year, taking like basically making three different commitments. There's a commitment at the beginning to the first three months, which are a discernment period where you're basically preparing for the journey. And then there's a commitment at month at the end of month three, which is a commitment to the nine months that follow. And people will be in small groups that meet every week for that nine month period. And they'll be taking on a lot of practices uh, of their own choosing to help them deepen in those three areas that we've talked about. And then at the end, there'll be another period of discernment after which people can take a vow if they want to, or if they, I mean, I shouldn't say it so glibly, basically if they <laughs> they are ready for that, then there's an invitation to commit to that way of being, deepening into that way of being for another year. So I'm super Uh, about this whole vow taking possibility and what it would look like in our modern world. I'm extremely excited to see the fruits of that project and especially um, what this vow taking I don't even know what to call it. Just vow taking like project, um, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. will shape into. Um, yeah, no, that that that's so exciting. Like, and I'm like super honored to you know share this space with you right now, um, and also like just the fact that like um, just got to learn so much from you know your background, what you're working on, and like your points of views. I think that's one thing that I often take for granted, and I'm starting to be more aware of it. Is 
that we all come from all these different places and all these different experiences. But like at the end of the day, it goes back to kind of like those three things that you mentioned, right? The meeting, belonging, and purpose. Mm. And so I feel like when we can like share messages or stories or just projects that you're excited about, um, it just helps us deepen those things. And the more we do it together, like even if you have a conversation with somebody else, it's like, oh, wait, like he also is passionate about this community building and, you know, affecting the you know overall human- humanity of uh, the world. So uh, th- this conversation has been amazing and i'm super grateful um that you got the chance to talk with us today me too thanks so much for having me on travis thanks for listening to the community builder podcast if you received an ounce of value from this podcast share it with your friends oh yeah don't forget to leave me a five-star review i need those remember each perfectly laid brick moves you one step closer to building your community